Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Can you believe it? It hasn't happened at Fenway Park for 95 years. Fires. Swing and a miss. Strike three. It's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Tune in to the newest show presented by Clovercrest Media. It's OB's Backstop Podcast. Catch it twice a week, every Red Sox series finale on your favorite podcast platform. I love wiffle ball. No other way to explain it. Just something about the game, the feel of the grass. Smacking the ball all over the field. Making plays. Diving head first, whatever it takes to get the job done. That's what wiffle ball means to me. Striking out grown men. Watching their knees buckle on a call third strike. Set out, bud. And then, of course, the home runs. The base hits. The big, big home runs the big moments that's a whiff of greatness join us all season long for the joe aguirre story a cmg podcast Number 17. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Show 17. And let me yeah, tell you guys. Man. Hey, man, we'll eventually become the Simpsons, man. I mean, you know, watch. Watch. <laughs> that'd, be, hey, that'd be great, right? <laughs> hey, guys, we have um, a packed show for you guys today. Um, we have Larry Forletta that's going to come in and join us here in a minute. Um, we have a lot. We're pretty packed. How's your week so far, Carlos? That pretty much says it all. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, you know what? Let's let's go ahead. Let's get this show started. Let's bring Larry on board. You know. All right. <clears throat> go ahead, Carlos. Larry, Larry, good to have you, sir. How are you today? Thank you, and uh, thank you both for having me on your show. Awesome, awesome. Um, let's uh, let's first tell the audience what we're uh, trying to do here and why we have Larry on. So, uh, <clears throat> just before uh, Israel and the Palestinians decided to smack each other around again, and before uh, this gas crisis uh, showed up, the the basic basically every story on every website, no matter what was about a cop doing something wrong. That was like the hot the hot story of, of, of the week. And so Frank and I had a few, you know, we had a few uh, conversations about it on the show, about certain cases, what we thought. And we had figured, you know, we need to find, we need to bring someone in who's actually on that side of the uh, of, of the discussion, you know, someone who's got experience with the badge 
just so I think people can maybe get a better understanding of what it is that police, police people, you know, policemen and law enforcement, what they go through, the kind of training they have, the the type of situations they can get into, the mistakes that are that they're capable of because they're human. And so Frank went on the hunt, and and uh, lo and behold, he told me he found you, which is great because I think this is a good conversation to have. It's a good conversation, you know. It's a good uh, idea to just inform people of what it is, and then you know, once everyone's done listening, they can make their own judgments based on you know what they hear tonight. Hopefully, so um, I think the way we should start this off is just. Give us a brief background about yourself, Larry. Tell us about your experiences, where you've been, where you've worked, stuff like that. <clears throat> well, thank you. Um, and before I actually begin, uh, you know, this is National Police Week. Uh, May fifteenth uh, tomorrow is the actual memorial for law enforcement that was created by President Kennedy back on May fifteenth, nineteen sixty-two, to honor the law enforcement heroes have given their lives for this country. Wow. Uh, so with that being said, and I've attended those ceremonies and, and they're really, they're really something to see. Uh, but my background goes for almost 30 years of law enforcement experience. I started out with the Maryland state police. I was there for almost eight years. I worked uh, undercover narcotics. Uh, from there, I went to uh, DEA, the drug enforcement administration. And I worked in Washington, DC, Baltimore, in Pittsburgh, where I finally retired, and I started my own investigation business. And now we're we're also in our doing our podcast, which called for Let Investigates. So, uh, with my realm of training and uh, responsibilities, uh, especially working with DEA, I spent a lot of time in South Florida, and I got to know it very well. Uh, you get a lot and, of training uh, in South Florida, and, uh, <laughs> and and believe me. I'd love to come to South Florida in the winter. Um, so it was uh, it was a great experience, uh, you know, working, especially, like I said, we did a lot of investigations in, in the Miami area uh, and Naples and other places there. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and, and I know you guys are from the South Florida area. You, yep. you know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Ah, no, there's, 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 there's plenty of job opportunities. Uh, no, no, no doubt. There is no doubt plenty of job opportunities. Um, Absolutely. So, um, but, you know, once you go through a lot of training, uh, which I did with the Maryland State Police and, and of course, with BEA, uh, you, you learn how to develop and handle people. Now, the, the one thing that's, you know, in law enforcement, just like anything else, it's all about common sense and not only just common sense, but how you treat people. I learned a long time ago, I treat people the way I want to be treated. And right. I didn't learn that from being a cop. I learned it from being at home with my family, the Catholic school that I went to, uh, things of that nature of my background, uh, which you know led me to law enforcement. But at the end of the day, I feel that most law enforcement officers, and you may agree or disagree with that, are honest and hardworking and decent. And there are there are bad cops. There's no question about it. And I put some of them in federal prison. Uh, and I can tell you one of the cases that kind of outstands in my mind were way back when in the 80s on the Miami River cops. That was a very 
They were the that ones was, who were dumping uh, dumping uh, the drugs body. in the river. Yeah. Well, they I were they were this. they were killing the drug traffickers. Okay. Okay. So those are those were what I call bad guys with a badge. Right. And they they happen to get in through the system sometimes, uh, and and you know so I recall that you know quite front you know quite it, it's almost in the back of my mind. And like I said, I've arrested police officers. I've arrested uh, a Collier County Sheriff's deputy back in the day for leaking information to the traffickers and put police officers in jail in Washington, D.C., and Baltimore, Maryland, you name it. But I can tell you that the majority of us, the majority of us want those bad guys with a uniform in prison where they belong. Of course. It's like the uh, the bad apple you know, analogy. You got one, it kind of like ruins the rest of you and even if it doesn't like ruin you as far as your 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 character and your integrity it makes you look bad yeah it, oh. it, it starts to make yeah. everyone look bad and and that's a shame but right. I, I have mentioned on this show a few times unfortunately like everything else when it's run by human beings you're you're gonna have flaws there's there's always gonna be that's there's true. always gonna be that mm -hmm. flaw so um, all right, so then let's let's really break it down for the audience, and I want them to get as thorough of a breakdown of, of police life as they can. So tell us about training. Now, uh, naturally, with, with all those stories that were going on, the natural uh, argument or debate was, well, they need more training, and they don't do enough of this, and, they, and the truth is, like most people who watch their team on Sunday who get mad because the quarterback didn't throw it to the right receiver, I call them armchair cops. They they, they had no idea. Yeah. So break it down for the audience. Tell us about training. Tell us about how intense it is, especially in the aspects of, you know, um, like resisting arrest and mm -hmm. firearm training. How much, how intense, how does that work? Let us, let us have it. Well, um, First of all, I, I am a proponent of training. You can mm -hmm. never get enough of it. And I think that's always an issue that comes up. One thing about law enforcement, they adjust to the situation. They adjust to the criticism that you know, it's every day. Uh, it's almost to the point where you begin to accept it and you deal with it because we look at that as part of the job. Uh, but the training that I've received is top notch. I can tell you that. Uh, and I'll start off with the Maryland State Police. We lived in a police academy barracks, military style, for about six months. And in those six months, you do everything from self-defense, learning the law. You, it goes on and on. Um, and firearms training. You just don't put your finger on a trigger and pull the trigger. Um, one thing about shooting you know, I've heard some comments made by people like, oh, you know, you should have shot him in the arm. Uh, you should have shot yeah. the guy in the leg, blah, blah, blah. But here, here's the reality. We train to shoot upper mass. Upper right. mass is to is really to disable the person. Uh, because I can tell you, if you uh, are in those kind of situations, you're, you're no matter how much training, you know, you have, you're, that that adrenaline is still pumping through. Uh, yeah. Uh, and yeah. I've been in a shooting. I've also almost got shot and killed in a raid. So I, I know what that's like. Um, and so those are the types of scenarios that you go through. You, and, and I can tell you, 
you know, even being with DEA, as many of drug raids that we did, you know, breaking somebody's door down in a, at, at six o'clock in the morning is not a good feeling. I can tell you that right now, because we don't know what is on the other end of that door. Uh, you know, sometimes we'll have information, you know, that people have weapons, but I can tell you, most drug traffickers have weapons. So we never mm -hmm. go in with, with the thinking of there's no weapons in there. Um, but again, uh, you know, sometimes police shootings, uh, they could be the result of somebody overreacting. It could be a result of somebody's own personal issues that they may have. Um, you know, one of the things that they always looked at, at police shootings, for example, is the background of that person. You know, a lot of times is, you know, have, have you ever been punched in the face before? Uh, you know, in my neighborhood, we fought a lot. And I've been punched in the face and I've had black eyes and bloody noses. So I know what that's like. Now, your training kicks in so that you don't overreact to a situation. However, in some cases, it happens. Uh, you, you see what happened out in Minnesota recently with a female officer that was supposedly pulling her taser and shot the guy with her weapon. I, you know, again, even I have to look at that and be critical uh, because I'm looking at her training and I'm looking, you know, is there a possibility that she overreacted? Now, it, listen, it maybe was an accident. I don't think it was done intentional. But again, uh, when those things happen, you have to take the responsibility for what happened. And that's the unfortunate part when you get into those types of shootings. Uh, same thing, uh, you know, when we talk about subduing somebody, you know, once we have somebody subdued, under control, handcuffed, there's no more putting your knee on somebody's neck. There's no more of that. You don't stand around and put that kind of pressure on anybody. Once they're in custody, you stop. And you also have an obligation. If one of the people that you're with are getting a little more assertive, you got to calm them down because that's what we do with each other. You got to calm them down. So yeah, your training goes a long way. Uh, I, you know, self-defense tactics, I'm a, a defense tactics instructor. I have, you know, I learned that through DEA and, and, and so on. And you learn a lot of techniques. I can tell you, I was in riots in Baltimore back in the late seventies. So, you know, you have to take action against people breaking the law. I've been in uh, KKK rallies. I've been in Colt miner strikes. So, and the beat goes on. And so the training is very important and training should be done on a regular basis. Now here's the real issue, funding. The major police departments, let's say like Metro Dade, or Miami PD, have that type of funding where they can train on a regular basis, okay? But if you go to some of the smaller police departments or even some of the smaller sheriff's departments, let's say in Florida, they may not have access to that kind of training. So some of those issues uh, should try to be resolved by, you know, the state and, and local governments and the federal government in terms of training for, for uh, law enforcement. So, wow. That's you a lot to dig in. You ahead, Frank. Actually, so now you might know this, you might not, but the majority of the police departments, you know, do they do recurrent training like on a yearly basis or maybe you know, every right. other year or something like that? Well, it depends on again that organization. I, I'll I'll speak. I'll, I'll okay. I'll talk specifically about DEA. Okay, 
we train every quarter. We shoot every quarter. Okay. We qualify every quarter mm -hmm. because that's the type of training. Now, even in between that quarterly training, uh, we train some more. Okay. Especially when you're doing drug rates. So you have to, this is something that it's a natural, you want it to be natural when you do those, what we call dynamic entries. So you want to be prepared for that. Okay. Uh, some of the police departments. Now, if you have, for example, like Miami, they, they have a SWAT team. So those teams, they train on a regular basis. I don't know how the patrol units do it. Uh, sometimes they may or may not. I'm not sure about that. But I can tell you with specific types of uh, divisions within a, you know, a police agency, they, they all have some type of training. And so we trained, again, when I say we, I talk about DEA, we trained quite regular on a regular basis. All right. So uh, let me, <clears throat> now, some of the stories that have come out involve veterans, others involve rookies or young, younger uh, LEOs. Let me ask, first of all, I guess two questions. How long is, is academy training? And second, how, I guess there has to be what I assume is like, <clears throat> that transition period where, you know, you've been through the academy and you know, once you take your first um, shift on the street, mm -hmm. it's, it's completely different. Like sure. everything just, it's so how long on average, do you feel it would take an officer to like really adjust to like, all right, I know what I learned in school, but this is, this is a different animal out here and, and really like just absorb that mindset and be, be mm -hmm. very efficient at what they do. <clears throat> well, so typically what happens is once you graduate from a police academy, and I'll go back to the Maryland State Police for me specifically, I, we train, like I said, for six months. Uh, and once you're graduated from the academy, you're put with a seasoned officer. That's your training officer. And in DEA, we call it a field training agent. And in the state police, we call it a field training officer. Okay, Still, it's the same principle because they're putting you with an experienced officer who's actually worked the streets, who's been there for years. And usually uh, that person has, uh, you know, good evaluations, never had any issues, you know, things of that nature. Um, and, and I'll go back to Minnesota for again, because this is where, you know, a lot of people don't understand. Those, that particular person who just got convicted, I don't even want to say the guy's name, um, when he got convicted, okay, uh, he did what good officers don't do, okay? He went beyond uh, subduing somebody. He killed them, basically. Um, and the officers that were there present stood around and watched, okay? Now, as I understand it, they're rookies, okay? Yeah. And they, but at the end of the day, common sense should take place. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you see somebody that's in that type of position. You got to do something. You can't let that go on. Okay. Because right. now, you, now you become complicit in right. that crime. Okay. So, and, and the other issue was, is that those officers that worked with the other guy who committed that heinous crime, he had been disciplined about 18 different times. Yeah, why, in the, why in the world, why in the world would the command staff put young guys in with this person uh, who is irresponsible. So you have to not just blame 
you know, those guys that were standing around, you have to blame the administration for letting this go on. Because at the end of the day, the police chief and his staff are responsible for what happens on the street. And that that's, you know, that's clear cut. So, yeah, I, I do. I do remember the details you uh, you described. Now, I do want to ask a, a question. This is kind of one of those questions that, like, you know, you know, you're not supposed to ask, but <laughs> you should. Uh, a lot of times in the public sector, actually in most jobs, but uh, I, I see it happen in the public sector, and the, and I don't think police, uh, you know, the law enforcement might be any different. Do you think, in in the case of um, Chauvin, mm-hmm. um, that the young cops that were there, <clears throat> do you think there may have been an unfortunate, how do I word it, like a phenomenon where basically as a rookie, you kind of don't say anything to the supervisor because you don't want to get on their bad side kind of thing? You know what I mean? Right. right. Do, do you think that, does that happen? Number one, does that happen a lot? Uh, in law enforcement? And do you think it could have happened in this case as well? Well, it does happen in law enforcement. Um, Again, when you see something that's that extreme, Mm -hmm. whether you've been on a job for an hour or 20 years, you can't, you can't just sit by and do nothing. I I just, I don't buy that. uh, I don't buy that type of, uh, responsibility because then they're they're really evading their own responsibility as officers you know they're there to protect and serve the community uh as all of us do but again when you have somebody that goes rogue like he did now i i can understand from maybe their perspective you know you know what the hell do we do you know do we say something to this guy you know i've been on a job for two weeks you know what am i supposed to do you know, what if, some, what, if, what if he, what if they blacklist me or what if he gives, uh, he gives me well, a bad name or what if I get crummy shifts? Or, yeah. yeah. I'm sure that yeah. stuff runs through the minds of a lot of like younger officers. It does. When their I, supervisor I, might be acting out of line and, and that's a yeah. bad phenomenon. So like, I don't know yeah. how, how that's addressed. And again, it's not just law enforcement. Many, many jobs, especially sure. public sector jobs out there do that. Yeah. Well, do it happens. That. It happens in the corporate world every day. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I I question my boss all the time. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, I you know, I you know my 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 main job is logistics. I move cargo all over the world, mm-hmm. and one of the things you know when it comes down to TSA customs, you know laws, you know we have to abide by them. And I had a right. job where the guy was like, no, 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 we're not going to do it like this. Well, you're going to do it like this, and I'm like, look, I'm not doing it that way. Right. You know, well, I, I go, you're wrong, and that's it. You know, you. Well, yep. I mean, at the end of the day, you know what's right and wrong, um, and mm-hmm. you have to, you have to take a stand there, telling him, "Hey, I'm not doing that." And if if any supervisor had uh, instructed me to do something that was illegal, I tell him to beat it, get lost. It's not happening, and I may even report him for trying to get me to commit a crime. You know, one of the questions I ask you, and even in interviews. You know, what happens? Let's say, for example, uh, you're on a drug raid, okay, and you're in a room and you see another agent taking money and putting it in his pocket. What would you do? And, you know, 
some people give different responses. You know, that's a my, great, great sense. That's a great, uh, uh, like situation because you yeah. know a lot of them would not say anything. Exactly. Some probably wouldn't, but I can yeah. tell you this. I can tell you the guy that, that's on your show would in a minute. Mm -hmm. uh, if I saw somebody stealing money, they're getting arrested or I'm grabbing them and snatching them up and I'm taking them right to my supervisor if I saw that happen. Right. There's no there's no room for that. I, I just, you, you can't tolerate it. Uh, but again, somebody might say, well, you know, I, you know, I don't know what to do. Maybe I'll go talk to another agent or another friend to see what happens. And, uh, you know, it, it all comes down to you at, at the end of the day. But I could tell you most guys that I and gals that I work with would probably do the same thing that I said that I would do. Uh, and but it is a precarious position to be put in, you know, when you see somebody doing something really stupid. All right. All right. Now let's, I want to, I, I want, I want to now get into the more intense aspects of your career. Again, a lot of the stories that come across our screens, uh, you know, unfortunately uh, as Americans, we're too busy making complete judgment calls on five seconds of video. Mm -hmm. uh, you, I'm sure with, with many of your drug rates, You've been in enough incidents where, you know, you've had it. You've probably used your 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 piece a lot more than most LEOs. Um, but can you take us through maybe like one scenario where you had to be quick? Like for example, things looked fine and you didn't appear to have the need to use it, and then all of a sudden. Well, I'll give you a I'll give you a quick scenario that I was involved with. Okay, and it was right. a. It was a drug a drug raid early morning. So we did a uh, what we call a dynamic entry. And usually we have a shield uh, to go in. You know, the first person through the door has the shield. Um, right. Usually uh, the persons that are responsible for the investigation, let's call them the case agents, that's their responsibility to bring the shields and whatever other equipment we need, battering rams, et cetera. On this particular day, um, I had questioned these two individuals and asked them where the shield was. And I talked to the supervisor about it and they said, well, we forgot it at the office. And I was really hesitant about doing it, to be honest with you. Um, but nevertheless, it was their warrant, their responsibility. So they're going to go through the door first, right? They're, it's their issues. Right. But so what ends up happening is, uh, the way it ended up working, one of those guys took a batting ram. The other guy took a Helligan tool. So that means I'm number three. Okay. But that makes me number one because those two, one hits the door, one uses the Helligan tool that kind of takes them out of the way. And You're so the first one to observe. I'm, the, yeah. I'm, the, I'm the first one going through the door. Okay. Right. And uh, when you think about miracles happening and you think, about uh, your religious beliefs, they really come into play. Wow. So at, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of times when you hit doors, they don't always open on the first hit. True. You know, you may have to hit them numerous times. I mean, I've been in there with somebody still doors. We couldn't even break them down. You know, you got to break the lock off and, and it takes time. But in any event, um, they hit the door, the door pops open. 
there was a, a, a guy at the uh, about 10 feet away from the door. He was sitting on a chair. He had just fallen asleep. He was on his heels and he had a sawed off shotgun in his hands. Now, I had to jump on the guy because the way the door opened and realistically, I could have shot him without any question because he had the weapon in his hand. But there's no question about it. I didn't shoot him. We did take him into custody. Um, and so, you know, we get into the house. There's another weapon on top of the banister. It was a 45 that was loaded, pointing down. So now we have this person in custody. And then we secure the house. Um, and so while I'm upstairs in the bedroom, um, one of the targets in the case that showed up, well, these guys were heroin dealers and they just been in a shootout in New York city and they came back to Baltimore. And so they were afraid of retaliation. And, uh, the, the main guy that came back was outside. He was being confronted by another agent. I ran down the steps and, uh, I convinced him to put his hands up. But when he did put his hands up, he had a nine millimeter tucked under his armpit. So after, again, things have calmed down, we get the situation under control. I actually went back into their living room uh, at the end when we were done. And I I broke out in a cold sweat because I knew that I could have lost my life there in a matter of seconds because of someone else's stupidity. And I, I, you know, you know, you you always learn things when they happen, you know, and a lot yeah. of times police involve shootings. You learn from that shooting and you hope that it doesn't go wrong like that particular situation could have gone wrong. You know, so I mean, I literally my clothes were soaked when I sat down and got up and left. And, you know, it, it's almost like a trauma. Uh that could have happened to me. You know, I went home, talked to my wife, uh, you know, told her what happened. And, uh, you know, I had to talk to my supervisor. We, you know, we discussed the, the situation. And after that day, I can tell you, I never, ever went to another raid, especially if I was the first one going through without a ballistic shield. And you only get one chance in life sometime. And that was my chance. Wow. <clears throat> Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And, and so, see, I'm glad we're hearing this because, again, on on too many occasions, not all. Some of them are obvious, obviously uh, bad decisions by cops, but it, it, it gets to the point where they're just scrutinized for everything, and and I get irritated. I'm like, mm. you know, you see the again the meat, and I'll even ask you about this too. Like, how do you feel? I'm sure it has to irritate you to a certain extent when America is deciding and, and like they know, like we're the arbiters of knowledge on this. When when they make decisions on everything they see based on five seconds of video, uh, that has to infuriate you. Well, I'll I tell you what infuriates me is the narrative that's going on in this country about defunding the police and, and so many other issues. And the news media has distorted the truth about law enforcement. Uh, I, I get tired of hearing about systemic racism, uh, about this, about that. You know, the cops are this, the cops are that. And in reality, it's not true. 
Um, and because if you look at law enforcement, you know, starting back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and, and on, you know, we're really the melting pot of America uh, because I've worked with all races, all nationalities. I've had bosses who are minority, you know, male, female, black, white, it didn't matter. We were there to do, we were there to do our job and there's nobody that I ever heard said, you know, today we're going out and hunt for this person. And when we see him, we're going to kill him. You know, that's just a false narrative that's been out there. And I despise that type of uh, news media coverage. Uh, and I get tired of hearing about it, you know, and I, I've been retired now for, you know, like I said, 14, 15, well, I'm going on my 15th year. You know, fortunately, uh, I don't have to deal with that situation. But, you know, the cops... And maybe with the exception in Florida and Governor DeSantis that really supports law enforcement, unlike some other states like New York, uh, especially New York City, which is a disgrace, it's a disaster. Um, uh, you, you know, they don't have their backs. And I knew some, you know, I worked some cases with NYPD guys, some of the best I've ever met. Uh, and they're leaving in droves, retirements, you know, and you just don't have to look at New York City. Seattle, Portland, and all where all these crazies are uh, that are trying to uh, create a new uh, police force or whatever they want to call it. it, it it'll never work. Yeah, Larry, do you do you have a, a few more moments? That, sure. Uh, yeah. Okay. Go before ahead. we go on, I think Frank, do we have a, a, a massive profit break? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we we can. We could go into. Yeah, go ahead. Let's put that up. And I just got a couple more for for Larry before we let him go. All right. Um. Let's see. Rocky Hill accounts. Uh, we could go with. Um. They're they're there for all your tax needs. You okay. Know, Rocky Hill accounting. We're gonna go ahead and play that commercial now. Rocky Hill Accountants offers a unique, low-pressure approach to professional and personal services, which is why they have an excellent client retention rate and are extremely proud of the high-quality services that their firm provides. The executive team at Rocky Hill Accountants has over 35 years of combined experience in income tax preparation, bookkeeping, accounting, and IT crypto tax. They specialize in individual income tax preparation, as well as trusts, estates, and gift tax returns. The tax deadline for individuals is May 17th. If you're one of the 50 million Americans who still hasn't filed, visit RockyHillAccountants.com. I feel richer already. <laughs> 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 All right, Larry, before we before you go, there's a couple of previous incidents that I have questions about, and I just want some information or some wisdom regarding these incidents. The first one I want to go to is the one that actually happened. I think it was right after George Floyd. It was, I can't remember his name, but it was the situation in Atlanta at Wendy's. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, he was asleep, I think. And uh cop basically uh, was going to take him in. And I think he knew he was going to be in a lot of trouble because he had a, a warrant. Mm -hmm. And so uh, he took his taser and then eventually the cop shot him. Now he got, criticized up and down the media like we just discussed and right. i believe i heard he just got reinstated right uh, in your in your in your mind and and with your with your background and your knowledge 
was that wrong? Did he overdo it? I, I, I can't understand why people thought that he was out of line there, but maybe you can fill me in on something I'm not aware of. Well, I, I, I'm familiar with it. I saw it. Um, you know, the guy that, uh, that, you know, they were called, you know, the guy supposedly was intoxicated and was sleeping behind a wheel, which is why they were there in the first place. Um, you know, when people resist arrest, nothing good can come out of it. You know, I just don't understand why. Look, if the officer says you're under arrest, put your hands behind your back, let them handcuff you, because at the end of the day, the officer goes home and you go to jail or go home shortly after that. There is a system called the justice system. We have courts and they should be the arbitrators and the deciders of what happens to somebody when they commit a crime, whether it's a judge or a jury. So we should leave those decisions up to them. Now, in that particular situation, this individual actually fought off two officers, okay? So obviously he was a pretty strong guy and he did take a taser from the other officer. Now, um, if you're not familiar with tasers, you know, you gotta use two, the two prongs are supposed to hit you in upper mass again. Uh, and this way, you know, the, so those, it penetrates. So when he took that other officer's taser, okay, this guy isn't trained to use a taser. That taser can be a deadly weapon. If you hit somebody in the face with it, guess what's going to happen, okay? So when the officer started pursuing him, as best as I could tell and saw, that he turned back and he was going to fire that taser. The officer responded, uh, as I thought he should have, because that's the way you're trained, and he knew that that taser uh, is a deadly weapon. And the reason why he got his job back was because he wasn't given his due process. He was just fired without any type of investigation. So, you know, there, there are, uh, you know, things in place, the checks and balances against law enforcement when they commit things. So you have an internal affairs department, you have state agencies, outside agencies, you have the Department of Justice. So there's all kinds of mechanisms. And with today's video stuff, you know, maybe they did something back in the 60s. That ain't happening today. I can tell you that right now. Um, I think uh, at the end of the day, I think uh, that in, in that set of circumstances, I think there will be some justice for the officer. Yeah, there, I, mean, I believe he, he's been reinstated. I don't know if there's going to be any of that back pay. That's a lot of intricacies, but right. he is back on the force. Yeah, I, I honestly, that was one case where I, I was like, yeah, I don't see the problem here, guys. I'm sorry. I, I just right. couldn't agree with a bunch of people who were just popping off mad. I'm sure they were still freshly mad about George Floyd, but I'm like, yeah, this right. ain't the same. This is not the same. Sorry. Well, none I, of the cases are the same, and everything right. should be looked as an individual case. Okay. Right. And we and should have all the information, which we normally have, never do. Well, you should be able to get the information, but let the system play out. You don't take the law in your own hands. You don't yeah. go burning and looting and stealing. I mean, look what happened this past summer. Those were criminals that were going into Target and helping themselves for Christmas shopping. Okay. Yep. They did early Christmas shopping. You can't use that as an excuse to break the law. That That is totally out of control. And I know the average citizen, and, and I'm going to say this, I know that the majority 
of citizens in this country support law enforcement, they no do. matter where, no matter where you live. They do. Um, because I've worked some of the worst, in, I've worked in some of the worst communities, and I'll tell you about West Baltimore. Very dangerous. Okay, high crime rate. A lot of good people live there, but they want the police there. Okay, and I tell people, especially the rich people that are listening, they don't have the security and the pearly gates to protect them. They only have the police to protect them. And uh, so, you know, when you hear these people complaining about the police, they're the ones that live in the nice neighborhoods, not in the bad neighborhoods where the crime's occurring, not where the criminal element runs the streets there. And, you know, when you continue to see what happens, look just ha what's happened. The murder rate is skyrocketing all over the country especially right. in yep. New York and other places. In big cities. Yep. It's it's getting out of control again. You know, yeah. New York, when you look at New York back in the 70s. Oh, I remember. When Mer <laughs> okay. You remember you remember the mayor by the name of Dinkins who was in charge of the city, right? I remember and, Coke, Coach, Coke. Uh, Ed. Okay. Ed Koch. Yeah, Koch. He, he was a disaster yeah. too. Yeah. So, you know, until Giuliani got there and they changed – changed it around and they took control back of the streets. New York became one of the safest cities, one of the largest cities in the world, one of the safest cities. Yeah. Unfor unfortunately, we can't say that now. No. Uh, the, the guy that's in charge now is a disaster. Uh, I've talked to a lot of the guys on that way. They can't wait for the guy to leave. And hopefully his replacement's going to be any better, though. But well, I, I think what you might see, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, uh, I think what you're going to see is some law and order is going to have to be part of their platform because you're killing the businesses in New York. All right. Now, listen, this is the last one I got for you. And this is something that I was talking to with Frank and he actually shared a story that he experienced in Tampa. And so this goes this goes hand in oh, hand. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I got I got I want everyone to know this because I'm not even sure and I believe police behavior is a bit inconsistent with this little scenario. Mm -hmm. So a few weeks back we had that military uh, the soldier who was pulled over at the gas station. I saw that. And mm -hmm. uh, and the cops were just screaming and it was a felony stop. Right. My so this is a two-part question for you and we'll wrap it up with this. Number 1. <clears throat> Is is it is uh is it uh are 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 the cops supposed to uh, you know tell you what is going on or why you're being pulled over prior to detaining you or not? And number two, just your overall take on that situation because again, it, it's a felony stop, which means I know that there's a more I guess intense or heightened level of procedure right. when it comes to pulling a person over. But I think he was being pretty cooperative. So I mean, that one honestly, I'm baffled and I'm confused, mm -hmm. and I don't know why the cops didn't explain it to him. Can you clarify what happened that night for us? Well, I first of all, I don't know if it was an actual felony stop and why the police were actually there. I know that uh, what I saw, they ordered him out of the vehicle, right, uh, and they weren't explaining to him what took place now right if it's, right if, it, if it's a felony stop you got to be very careful uh and if they're if the police are telling you hey listen get out of the car put your hands up that that could be a difference now on the other hand if it wasn't those circumstances i think uh that gentleman appeared to be uh cooperating 
in, in one sense of trying to keep you know things uh, under control now i don't know why those police officers acted the way they did i don't know all the circumstances but i think it looked like that uh officer i think he was a lieutenant in the military in the army i yeah. think it could have been handled right. maybe a lot a lot differently uh and maybe they could have talked to him i, I think do you you know de-escalation is a key to successful law enforcement okay right you don't you don't want to put a match and just stoke the fire okay you want to de-escalate that fire okay so in in those set of circumstances uh that could have been a de-escalation and let's go back to the word training okay let's look at the law enforcement agency what type of training do they have have they had any the most recent up-to-date training on de-escalation so you know those are the set of circumstances um you know that happened and, and i'll tell you a quick story about me then then we can go i was in texas working an investigation okay and uh because i got sick i decided to drive home versus fly home and there's a lot of circumstances behind it okay i was on a four a four lane highway was divided okay and i'm driving a red uh lincoln escalator okay now i can be at times look like a hispanic male you know i'm italian and uh you know my skin color gets a little bit darker in the in the summer but i'm all you got that roman in you right <laughs> got that roman in me right got that roman in me and uh, you know i'm just driving down a highway i know i wasn't speeding and i saw the guy make a u-turn on me and uh he pulled me over now that was a high uh area for drugs being transported but you know he pulls me over and i cooperate and i told him who i was you know and uh believe this or not after i told him who i was you know he starts questioning me like i'm a criminal and i said well what are you doing you're profiling me i know what you're doing um and he said, no, no, I'm not. So the guy had a canine dog. And he said to me, do you mind if I search your car? And I'm like, what? You want to search my car for what? So rather than me getting to a fist fight with him or arguing with him, I said, go ahead. And uh, he brings his dog out. I watched him. He wanted me to stay way back. At that point, I didn't trust the guy because I had no idea what his intentions were. Um, you know, and it, to me, you know, that goes to show you and talk to you about training. Uh, you know, maybe he suspected I was a dirty cop. That could have been. But on the other hand, that situation could have been handled a lot differently. Just like the situation at the gas pump with the lieutenant from the Army. Um, again, I think it should have been handled differently. I don't know all the circumstances. I know what I would have done in those circumstances. Uh, I would have, you know, tried to talk the guy down, calm him down, try to explain to him, hey, we got a call. Uh, you know, you fit a description of a person that was just involved in a robbery or something to that extent. Legitimate questions. Right. And, well, and, uh, and that's what I was kind of wondering, like, why not explain it to him? I mean, you've sure. got him pulled over. You've, you've even got your guns drawn. Explain it. See right. what he says, and then at that point, uh, you know, you, 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 
I agree to an extent, even after an explanation, though, you asked him to get out of the car, he needs to comply. But I'm sure if, if I heard what you said and I'm like, yeah, I have no idea what he's talking about. Let me just work with the officers. I'm sure I'll beat this and just go home. Well, right. according according to, to that story was he pulled into the gas station. I, apparently they, they were they, oh, you know, they had turned they on had, the lights. Yeah, they had turned on the lights for in, a while. Right. And he pulled into a well-lit area. Mm-hmm. You which, know, and that's I've done. Yeah. I've done that. And, yeah, and right. I will see I mean if I if I'm in a dark area, I'm gonna make sure that I pull into a wallet area. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the issue the issue though, Frank, if I remember, and and Larry, you, you can chime in. He kept asking, "What did I do?" All they had to do was explain it. Right. And and I and, and I didn't understand for the life of me why they didn't. So he's scared. Guns are drawn. Right. As much as I can't agree with him not listening to the cops, I can't blame him for being scared and not getting out of the car. Yeah. <laughs> Well, again, I don't see, I, and here's the other situation. I don't know why their weapons were out. Yeah. I mean, is, was there some reason before they arrived or were they dispatched? Uh, and so, again, you know, when you when you do those type of uh, approaches, you got to approach it very carefully. Uh, but, again, you know, without knowing all the circumstances as to why those officers pulled their weapons out, I have no idea. Uh, I, like I said, from another standpoint, if you look at it, you de-escalate it. You talk to the guy. He didn't appear to me uh, to be somebody who was a threat that I could tell. Um, and it seemed like to me, like, you know, hey, what did I do or what's going on? What happened? So it only takes, you know, a couple seconds to explain, hey, listen, you know, we hate to do this, but uh, you have to step out of the car. We got a complaint. Uh, you fit a description of somebody that uh, just committed a robbery, and the guy said, "Oh no, well, just step out of the car. Let us check you out. Right. And we'll we'll clear right. this up, and we'll go home." Well, Everybody hopefully, goes there's home. more right. consistent training based on that kind of scenario because right. dealing with scared individuals never goes well, and it could no. lead to problems. So yes. Well, Larry, I must say this has been incredibly informative. I think uh, having you on here has been ultra valuable, not just for Frank and I, but for our viewers and our listeners. It's just good to hear it from the other side. I mean, like you said, the media does a bang up job of turning anything it talks about into pure shit. So (laughs) I'm glad you came on. I'm glad you were able to just present some realities about the mentality and the and uh, the situational stress of just what it is when things can go wrong. I think people need to hear that and understand that. And I'm more than grateful for you being on here. Frank, you got anything to say? Yeah, Larry, you know what? Thank you. You know, um, if you guys out there like um, true crime podcast, Larry has his own podcast, which is a Forletta Investigates. Go check him out on um, on he's on Apple, and I'm not sure where else you're on there, Larry. But you know, I'm, I'm sure we could find you wherever we look for you. You know, yeah, I, like, I, I love his last name. That's a TV show right there. Tuesday at nine for Letta. That works. That works. Well, Larry, thank Larry, you. Thank, thank you, you so much for, for coming by. We totally appreciate you. Have a great evening and a great weekend. Thank you, guys. I All right. It. Wow, that was uh, pretty amazing there with, with Larry. I um, 
think we went a little bit longer than what we really wanted to, but I mean, I oh, think no, we did. I think everything he said, we needed to hear. That was that was that was primo, primo. I I think uh, I think having him on was great, and I think uh, you know even ask him about those little situations. I mean, not everybody in our in our comment section is going to be involved in drug raids. At least I hope not. But to each his own, you know. You're on your own. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. But, but, but you I know, to hear what he had to say about that that pullover situation because a lot of us end up in that kind of situation. We can get mis you know, we can be misidentified. Uh, I know one time in Miami when I was, uh, I, I was driving my 300, I got pulled over for like <laughs> zero reason. Like I just made a right turn and, and lights are behind me. Like, sir, let me see your license. Like, all right, no, you're not the guy. Good day. I'm like, what the hell was that? That was like the quickest pullover ever. Yeah. You just never know. You never know. And I'll so tell you that, quick that was crucial. I'll tell you a quick pullover story on me. You remember back in the day, we were still young, where I would just pop up at your house. Yeah, a long, long time ago. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I um, I forgot. Well, I, I don't remember where I was coming from, but I was driving, and I'm, I'm going down 132nd Avenue, and, you know, it curves a little bit, and then you just oh, make yeah. the left to go to your house. Yep. So I pulled in there, and as I pulled in, I got pulled over by a cop. Nice. He was a Sweetwater cop on top of that. And I was like, Sweetwater? I'm like, you're out of your district, guy. Yeah. What'd I do? He's like, <laughs> what are you doing out here? He's like, that's exactly what he asked me. What are you doing? I said, my friend lives right down the street. I just came to visit my friend. Well, does your friend know you're coming? I'm like, no. But what'd I do? <laughs> well, you're driving too fast. I'm like, I probably wasn't. But how fast was I going? <laughs> they, I couldn't tell me anything. I think the guy was just, you know, busting my balls. Well, that, you know, that's but. the problem, though. I mean, I mean, I think, again, I'm not going to expect cops to be perfect as much as we want them to, and as much as they should strive to be. They're people too, and yeah, you're yeah. going to get a clown like that where they just want to pull you over just to ask you questions. I mean, maybe you were driving kind of funny, and he just wanted to make sure, and he didn't have much to say, and. And pulling you over in, oh, the hammocks, oh. in the hammocks when you're from Sweetwater. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, for those who don't know, those two areas are not close to each other. Just jumping not at all. Together. So, not at all. <laughs> so no. you know. But, you know, I, before we go, I guess uh, I, 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 I think I was supposed to have a, a somewhat of a counseling with Carlos session here. Something Yay! happened to you, Something happened to you again. <laughs> Yeah, man. You know, counting with Carlos. All what right, can I right. tell you, man? Tell me, Frank. Tell me, tell me about your week, Frank. What happened? Dude, you know, I start getting these weird phone calls, you know, about me wanting insurance. Oh, they have my name. They're like, yeah, are you Frank? I'm like, who's this? Yeah, oh, this is so-and-so from, you know, <laughs> whatever you called insurance and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, dude, I'm not looking for car insurance. <laughs> oh, but you requested it online. I'm like, no, I didn't request it online. No, I didn't. <laughs> I'm like, all right, goodbye. Click. Whatever. I didn't think much of it. You know? Mm -hmm. Then a couple hours later, there goes my phone again. It's another one. You need insurance, Frank. I'm like, dude, I'm not looking for insurance. I already did it. <laughs> What what is going on? You know, so I just I get pissed off. I hang up. Again, yeah. I must have gotten maybe I kid you not about twenty phone calls in about two days. Wow, that's pretty heavy. Like I mean, 
I know most of us in America, it's it's funny when I make a joke about extended warranties, we all get it, which means yeah, yeah, all of us are getting those crappy calls. <laughs> but 20 in two days, you must have clicked Dude, I got on about a website. Dude, <laughs> I, I was pissed. Until finally the last person that called, I'm like, look. <clears throat> and you know what? These people sounded legit. I'm like, look, let me ask you a question. Where did you get my information from? Who do you think I am? <laughs> Who do you think I am? <laughs> no, they're like, oh, you're Frank. I'm like, yeah, I'm Frank. They're like, oh, you're Frank Westa. I'm like, yeah, I'm Frank Westa. Oh, you're 58 years old. I'm like, no, I'm not 58 years old. <laughs> they're like, oh, you, your wife is, they're like, your wife is Jennifer. I'm like, Jennifer? I'm like, I don't even know a Jennifer. Where are you coming from? You know, so apparently oh, somebody gave my my information out. You know, Carlos, uh, like my brother's coming and taking me off your list. I'm yeah, you know what would be great to take you off your list, <laughs> but you know what doesn't matter. They don't always go off your list. You know, so it was one of those where I was like, "Wow," you know. Hey, but either way, <laughs> enough of my counseling session. I, I think this time you're all right, Frank. It, it yeah, appears that so. uh, some other Frank Cuesta out there is doing a bad job of keeping his insurance afloat, and he's getting calls, and somehow well, he's not he, getting the calls. No, no, and, and unfortunately, you're the one getting nailed with the phone calls, and uh, that's just you know. Yeah, it was disgusting. Now was imagine like, oh, if you had gotten insurance calls and extended warranty calls all in two days. <laughs> you know, when I get those extended warranty calls. <laughs> I just start making some weird noises on the phone. They just hang up. You know? They, they you should tell them, I won't buy your warranty unless I get to wash your car first. <laughs> Gee, thanks. At the car wash. Hey, Carlos, give me just five more minutes of your time today. Oh, boy. I, I want to talk right quickly about Colt Brennan. Oh, the, the quarterback. I want to talk about him. I mean, I know we, we had a full show, but Forletta, you know, took up majority of the show. But there's one thing that we spoke about last week when we were talking with um, with Stephen about uh, Columbia, right? Right. Where, you know, he, he was saying that, hey, you know, to get, you know, not everybody in Columbia gets medical assistance. Right, right. You know, that they get turned away. And that is exactly, you know, actually, hold on, let me back up a little bit. And that's when we, you know, we told, you know, we compared it to here and we're like, hey, you know what? Here you get service. You know, you you have your, you know, something happens to you, you go, you go to the hospital and they're going to take care of you. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> which, you know, Cole Brennan here, he got denied. Right. You know, you know it's a little bit different maybe because... Yeah, because this is this is a rehab situation. I get it, but I, I get where you're going. I get where you're going, and uh, unfortunately, oh. well, here's the problem, Frank. From what I'm reading, uh, he was turned away from a residential facility, meaning it. The whole point of it is to stay there and 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 officially detox from whatever it is you're suffering from. But if they have no beds, where are they going to put you? Yeah, but now why, why, I don't know if there was some kind of referral system. Like, for example, if you come to my place and I don't have beds for you, but I don't want to send you just back out there to continue to battle this addiction, 
I should be phoning every other place to find you something. I don't know if there was that kind of follow-up. There should be. I, um, I think there should be. You know, that's one of those things yeah. where, you know, especially when it comes to, to drug usage. You know, when you right. have these people that are, you know, addicts. You know, the same thing with alcohol. You know, you're not, you know, you're not going to get help unless you want help. You know? And when people reach out, you know, for whatever addiction they have to one of these, you know, facilities, regardless if there's beds or not, I think, you know, you owe it not, let me not say owe it, but I think you, you know, you need to go that extra step and help this person. You know, I mean, I'm one, I'll be, I'll, I'll be real honest with you. I, I'm one that I don't go out of my way to help people too often. You know, if you ask me for help, I'll help you. You know, am I going to go right. an extra mile if you're not asking me? No. But consider the fact that this guy, you know, he went somewhere. He asked for help. Oh, I'm sorry. There's no beds. Come back another day. Right. No, I think <clears throat> it's up to, you know, the facility. Hey, let me get on the phone and say, hey, you know, I got this guy. You guys got space? Right. Yes. All right. <clears throat> no problem. I'm going to send them to you. Hey, Mr. Colt, guess what? Look, I... I can't have you here, but there's this place for you. Go ahead and go over there. And you know what? Then at that point, it's up to him. Yeah, shit, the airlines. You know, but we, we, you and I have discussed that, um, you know, as much as I'm not a, a big fan of, of universal health care, I did uh, concede, though, that I'm okay with some aspect of it when it comes to mental health because we are woefully under under equipped to handle it <clears throat> and this is a prime example this yeah. is a prime example where he should have been referred there should be a system where he can go uh, especially in his case where he was he was pretty bad on fentanyl i guess so that requires some strong detox and you can't just turn people back like that they're, they're bound to just go and get themselves killed i'm only speaking from from what I know, maybe <clears throat> there are some other aspects to this that uh, we we might learn. But you know, I, I get you though that there should be. We do need more. We do need more facilities to handle addiction and mental health. And there's not enough right now. There's not enough. And then I'm not even sure if it touched up on insurance, but that might be an issue sometimes. Sometimes too. Well, so. I could. I mean, I could tell you from my own experiences. You know. Um, when it comes down to insurance, majority, well, not my own experience, I'm sorry, but majority of um, insurance companies do cover that. Yeah, they do. They do. <clears throat> but you know, if, I mean, but they, if there's no room, if there's no room, there's no room. <clears throat> I mean, the thing is, it's not like, like, like some outpatient programs where I can send you home and we can visit your house and check on you. The whole point of mm -hmm. detox is to keep you completely confined to an area to avoid you, for, you know, to make sure you don't get your hands on anything else. So it's got to be in-house. And if there's no room, they're not going to have you sleeping in a hallway. They're not going to prep you a bed on a cafeteria table. So what we just need are bigger and more, more efficient facilities. And, and <clears throat> it's a shame, though, because he was, what, 30, 20? He was 37 years 30, old. 37? 37. That's crazy. Yeah, that's young, man. <clears throat> that's young. Yeah, that's and I remember crazy. he was pretty good. He had a nice tight spiral. He was he was very athletic. 
It's a shame. Yeah. I, I do feel that the, uh, the, the U.S. Can, can definitely do some upgrading when it comes to mental health and, and, or, or, and addiction. And um, hopefully that day will come and, you know, we can do it responsibly, efficiently, and effectively. So we'll see, man. Yeah. We'll see. Hey, but, quick uh, question, Carlos. Quick question. Have you gotten your second COVID shot yet? Ah, Friday. Friday. I go full Resident Evil Friday. Next Friday, yeah, then well, next Friday. You see, that sucks for you because <laughs> you know. It, I think um, right now they're you know one of the the new COVID you know stuff that changes all over the time. I mean, all the time now is if you've gotten vaccinated, <laughs> you have both shots. Guess what? <clears throat> you don't gotta wear your mask anymore. Yeah, yeah, man. So I gotta wait seven you know, more days, and then you know. Oh, but like you said, the message is always changing. You know, like gotta wear a mask indoors, maybe outdoors on well, Tuesday. Well, it's gotta be red after three thirty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now supposedly you don't have to wear it. You know, either indoors or outdoors. Listen, man, this this whole mask shit yeah. has been un gran bayou. It's just been ugh. Um, and and again, you we've talked about. This. We've talked I, about I why think, you have faith in this and why this is this could this. I'll is be it. honest with you. I think I think it works. Carlos, shut up for, with DeSantis for freaking president. <laughs> I think we're gonna ban him out of here. You know, <laughs> that guy. We're, we're not you gonna know. extend the show any further on that one. We get we'll, we'll save that for next week if anything. Yeah, we'll save it for another week. <laughs> I yeah, gotta get them back in here. But yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, hey, uh, no. So ne next Friday, dude, I'm gonna honestly, I'm gonna light a match to my mask, and I'm done. I'm done. I, I don't care anymore. I'm done. I'm done breathing that damn thing in my face all the time. Yeah, I'm but get the but shot. Wait, wait, nah. But you gotta remember this. Here comes the next this. fairy tale. Yeah, Fauci said. Fauci said. No, no, no. <laughs> it has nothing to do with Fauci. <laughs> Thank God. Okay, it, it has to do with the fact of. Private businesses could go ahead and uh, oh yeah wear yeah I know I'll have one in my pocket and if they absolutely must or demand that I wear one I'll comply but as soon as I, I as soon as I step out the door shit's right off I'm done like, yeah I think I will not wear that thing a second longer than I have to after next Friday no mas no I, mas yeah I wouldn't either but hey look you know <laughs> what guys um again thank you to Larry. For letter for coming on, I mean he. Yes, that was incredible. He gave us, that was awesome. Yeah, was he gave us. And the, I hope uh, whoever was listening, just take what he said into account. The next time you hear about an incident on TV and the volatility of these situations, and get the information before you make a judgment, and and stop jumping up at five seconds of every video you see. That that's that's all I gotta say, honestly. And I think. He shed some light on some things that not many people are aware of, and it was great to hear. And I appreciate him for being here. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Real quick, what do you think of the cruise line pissing match? It's just that it's a pissing match. I don't even know what that is, and I'm not That's, sure I want to. Yeah, no, you probably don't. It's <laughs> it's, um, it's pretty much the cruise lines and the is going back and forth. Oh, what could happen? What right. should happen? How I, I'll, should I'll look, at, Carlos. I'll but, check that but, out. I'll look at it and see what's going on. I haven't really, I haven't really heard about it. But, but you, you know, know what? Let's do this, Carlos. Let's save that one for next week. All right. Um. Well, as a matter of fact, I I actually started working on the show, so I'm gonna go ahead and put that 
on it. I'm just going to put cruise line. Cruise line pissing matches. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm going to write. Cruise <laughs> line pissing match. So what we're going to do is, Carlos Cuesta, next week, get your facts together. We'll bring you on board. And you can talk about your cruise line pissing match. And if you're lucky enough, then maybe we'll keep you off show. If not, you'll just ah. come and talk about that topic, and we'll get you out. All you know, right. You know, with that being said, look, you know what? This is the ending of the show. Carlos, any final words? No, nah, man. Great show. Great uh, great audience. I mean, I, I wish we could address the comments like we normally do while Larry was gone, but he was being so informative. I, I was not going to ruin his flow. I, I think I, letting him talk was just the best thing. So I apologize to anyone in the comment section if uh, you made a comment and we didn't address it like we normally tend to. Uh, <clears throat> it was just good to hear him talk and to absorb all that knowledge. So, no, nah, man, great show, great show. I, honestly, I would love to go further, but I gotta, I gotta head down to the MIA tomorrow, so I gotta, I gotta pack. <laughs> no, yeah, no problem, no worries. Hey, look. With that being said, guys, and I should always say this at the beginning of the show, and I always forget. I get so excited. Look, share, share our page, share our podcast. Tag a person you think needs to be tagged in. Tag a person who you think doesn't need to be tagged in. Tag your friend, your frenemies. Doesn't matter. Your friend. Right? <laughs> of course. Tag whoever you want. You know what? Let them know that speaking it real is the real deal. All right. And we, we're always going to come out here, whether you agree with what we're speaking, whether you whether you don't agree with what we're speaking. The one thing you know for sure is that Carlos and I will always be speaking it real. We'll see you next week, guys. Good night. Have a great weekend. Good night. The Closing Time Podcast is back. Sponsored by Rocky Helicopters. I'm Joe Aguirre. I'll have a brand new co-host, Sanam Salati, who's my broker, my mentor, and my good friend, and one of the most knowledgeable people in Connecticut in the entire real estate industry. We're going to be talking about the latest goings-on. We'll keep you up to date on the market, and we're going to bring on some really great guests all throughout this season, people in all different fields in the industry, like accountants, home inspectors, mortgage reps, and so much more, just to give you a better understanding of the Connecticut real estate market. We're so excited for a brand-new season of the Closing Time Podcast, part of the CMG Podcast Network. It's sponsored by Rocky Hill Accountants. Go see Heidi and Glenn Parchman to file your taxes for bookkeeping, business advice, real estate investments, or whatever your accounting needs are, including cryptocurrency. Just visit RockyHillAccountants.com. We'll see you all season long on the Closing Time Podcast.